Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Uh, it seems like you're still on vacation, you're, or is it? You're trying? Are you trying to cling to the 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 memories of vacation for as long as possible by by uh, keeping on your cabana wear? Yes, I am, and also I'm clinging to summer, Bill. People are. Kids are going back to school in some you, place. You, you got early school time, uh, school starting, right? Yeah, I don't like it. I, uh, I'm i an after Labor Day traditionalist, but mm-hmm. uh, my kids start next Monday. But there are some kids who've already started, believe it or not. It's well, my kids start the Thursday before Labor Day. Uh, you know, I guess I have bigger fish to fry, but if I were dictator, uh, <laughs> it, would, it would be after Labor Day. Would you would you go year round, year round school? Uh, I'd have to really think that one through. As, as you know, Bill, our our current system is is sort of antiquated. It's based on, uh, I, I guess, farming, maybe yeah. something like that. But uh, I don't know. I like I like the summers off, you know. And I'm sure the teachers' unions would support me in <laughs> in that call. But you had a nice getaway, Matt. I did. I did, Bill. We. Uh, had a really good time. Uh, you know, took kind of a road trip. Stopped in Charlotte. Uh, went to Charleston, South Carolina. Ate some amazing food. Actually, met up with a uh, uh, a local reporter there from the uh, Charlestown Charleston uh, newspaper, and then went down to Kiowa Island. Oh, by the way, I literally arrived at Kiowa Island. We go to the the big hotel. Uh, which is called the Sanctuary. First person I see is Nikki Haley. <laughs> Walking in, we end up, Aaron and I go and have a drink uh, at the bar and there's like 10 people there and one of them is Nikki Haley. Uh, did, did not talk to her, mm-hmm. did not, uh, didn't want to you know, be that guy. But uh, it's an interesting world that we live in. Maybe she should be in Iowa and not Kiowa Island right now? Well, uh, she I think she is in Iowa now. She's <laughs> definitely there for the, the fair. But when I got to Kiowa like uh, 10 days ago or whenever I arrived, she was there. So, um, well, yeah, cause I, I had a week long vacation uh, in Savannah and Tybee Island, which is not too far from that area. And I went like like a peak heat wave. I mean, we did it because now I, I've been taking care of vacation arrangements lately so i said what's the cheapest flight can i get anywhere in the country in july and apparently it was savannah because no one vacations in savannah middle of july because it's 100 degrees um but i i, I loved it and i love tybee yeah. the water was super warm probably probably because of global warming but i still loved it uh so i don't know if you had the same kind of you know the water was experience. perfect uh we did the the road trip so i know that could be dicey but I kind of enjoy it. Um, listen to a lot of podcasts. Listen to there's a you know there's a cool uh, there's a cool podcast called Novel Conversations where um, it's a scripted podcast, but they literally will go through like a novel, and it's kind of like the Cliff Notes. They have a conversation about it, and by the time you're done the episode, so we listen to. The Old Man and the Sea and Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer. So you're telling oh, me your entire family, adults and children, 
are collectively listening to a podcast about classic novels. Yeah. Willingly and happily. Yeah. Well, you know, the kids, uh, they'll be, we'll go an hour where the kids are on their uh, uh, Nintendo Switch and, and Aaron and I are rocking out to whatever, classic rock. And then I'll be like, okay, guys, put the Switch down. We're going to listen to Jonah Goldberg <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is. So we listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff like that. There's no way I would ever get away with that. I just, I just, I just took them for like a, like a stay at a at a family place, uh, but it was like a four hour drive, and they brought friends with them. Kids brought friends with them, and we have the minivan with the TV screens, uh, and they watched the Brady Bunch. Brady That's Bunch cool. is timeless. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what it is about the Brady Bunch, but like they get they get they get sucked into it. I just started watching Leave It to Beaver with my youngest son, who's 10. Uh, never seen it before. It's not like when I was a kid, it was on reruns all the time. Um, and you can't even buy, at least I wasn't able to purchase the seasons. It's sort of like you, you just buy like a collection of greatest hits and like random episodes. Um, but it's it's fun to go back and watch those those old shows and kind of keep them alive for future generations. Mm -hmm. But you know, my kids are, are very, um, very interested in stuff. I got my, my, my oldest boy, I got him reading uh, Anthony Bourdain's kitchen confidential uh, right now. He's, he's trying to learn Japanese on Duolingo. Um, this is a universe that is completely alien to me. I don't know what is, what, where you come from, what you do. None of this would get, get, have a have a chance in my household. Last night I had to stay up. Uh, I, I I I tend to go to bed very early, uh, but I had to stay up, and I was on. So I was on CNN at uh, at like eleven thirty last night, and then I was back up on Morning Joe at like six thirty this morning. Um, but my my oldest boy decided to stay up with me last night, and uh, he's like. Um, Oh, he, he's like, what are you going to talk about? And so I was like, I'm going to talk about my column. So we started reading my, my column, Bill, which is about why I think this indictment makes it more likely that Trump is going to show up at the debate in Milwaukee on, on August 23rd. And I mentioned in there, Bill, that uh, in 2016, after the Access Hollywood moment, um, there was a debate two days later with Hillary Clinton. And I really think that debate saved Donald Trump. That he it changed the uh, the message, and anyway, he was like, "What's Access Hollywood?" So now we started watching a YouTube video explaining Access Hollywood, explaining the scandal, or explaining the show, the scandal, explaining Donald what Donald Trump said with Billy Bush on that bus, and he was oblivious. He had no idea that this had happened, and then then he was like, "Well, what what's up with the Hillary email?" And I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so on YouTube, we found videos explaining the Hillary email scandal and, you know, reopening the case because of Anthony Weiner. Uh, he's getting like a crash course in politics. But what else would you expect? Live in, uh, live in La Vida Loca with Matt Lewis, <laughs> you know? Amazing, Matt. But let's, let's talk about that column of yours. So you yes, think, yes, yes. are you going as far as saying... Donald Trump will show up or just you think it's more likely than before? 
I think it's more likely than before. And as you know, Bill, I've thought all along he probably would show up. You and, and I, you know, I think all along that he probably will not. <laughs> yeah, you and I have disagreed. And I think you've made a very rational, logical argument that, look, he's up by 40 points. Why would he want to elevate his rivals? Um, why not let them go after DeSantis? You know, let DeSantis be At this the point, target. DeSantis isn't even a threat. <laughs> yeah, not that it matters, right, at this point. But, it, but I think Trump might take a, a sort of a sadistic glee of watching the also-rans like Vivek Ramaswamy uh, and, and Chris Christie destroy uh, Ron DeSantis would, would be fun. Um, and as you know, Bill, my argument's always been like, no, Trump craves attention. He wants to be the center of attention and he fetishizes projecting strength. And for these reasons, he will show up. And I believe that the indictment makes it more likely, and I'm telling you the ultimate flex move, in my opinion, Bill, would be, you know, he has like 10 days to surrender himself. Uh, what if I, I could see Trump surrendering himself and then going to the debate? You want to talk about dominating the conversation? That would certainly be it. He could surrender himself on the day of the debate. Yeah. And give a press conference afterwards and not go to the debate and render the debate, you know, uh, a, a, a back page story. He could. And that's possible, right? I mean, that's what he tried to do in 2016 when he skipped a debate. Um, and I think he held a, a counter. Yeah, well, I, I think I think showing up for your indictment is a little bit different than just having a, a, a rally, which I mean, he's had other. Of course, he's had other indictments. This would be the fourth <laughs> indictment. I'm not sure if it's going to have the same play as the Alvin Bragg indictment, which was obviously unprecedented. Look, I mean, it's so hard to predict Donald Trump, but um, I just I could see him doing this. I could see him showing up, and in a way, it would be the death knell. I think if he if he and here's the other thing, Bill. Obviously, we have seen that people like Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott, for example, um, are not going to exploit the indictment. In other words, they're like like Ron DeSantis is out there saying. This is the criminalization of politics. This is a Democratic DA using the power to try to, you know, stop Donald Trump. So they're not going to, like, play it up. But I think the one the one sort of lane that is available to them at the debate, if Trump doesn't show up, you could be Ron DeSantis and you could say this. Look, I think this indictment is BS. But. It's more evidence that they are coming for Donald Trump. He has now been indicted four times. He's going to be in court all of next year. He's going to be in New York. He's going to be in Florida. He's going to be in Washington, D.C. He's going to be in Georgia. He's not going to have time to campaign, and he's going to lose to Joe Biden. So they could make the electability argument. But what if Trump surrenders himself and shows up at the debate and kicks their butt? I think it's harder to make that elect electability argument. I mean, still, I, I think you'd still make it. Uh, I, I obviously, playing mind reader is, you know, is we have limited ability to, to do that sort of thing. Uh, and so I won't go as far as like, I know he's going to do X, but I feel like all the arguments that he's going to debate feel very much like wish casting to me because, well, well, of course he's going to. He can't help himself. Uh, and, that just seems to ignore the the basic set of political incentives, which aren't there. 
and what words are coming out of Donald Trump's own mouth, which echo those incentives. Uh, so I just don't, I, I it, obviously anything could happen, but all that we've seen is that uh, he gets the media attention he craves without a debate. The indictments perversely give him outside media attention. There's a Republican electorate that is unfazed by them, that accepts Trump's worldview. This is more proof that you need me to be the nominee to fight back the deep state. A message which is echoed by several of Trump's own opponents. Uh, and I don't see how, that, I mean, even the message you just laid out there largely bolsters that narrative because people like DeSantis, I mean, I mean, Chris Christie is making the case that this is insane. You can't have a nominee who is in multiple trials, who is going to be physically required to be in the courtroom for several days on the campaign trail during the campaign. That is, that is Looney Tunes. You, wait, isn't that argument bolstered if Trump doesn't show up at the debate? I think Matt Christie say, "Look, he's not even here tonight." The subtext even make it. The subtext of everything Trump has done is that being uh, on trial is the campaign. I am campaigning while I'm on trial. Yeah, I am making this whole thing about how the system is rigged against me and you. Wouldn't he like to do that on stage at a debate to get up there and unburden himself? And talk about how he's put upon and he's the victim. Wouldn't he enjoy he it? He a debate to do that. He does this. He, he, he tosses off a thing on Truth Social, a, a social media platform nobody uses, but nevertheless gets plenty of media attention every time that he does it. He's just, the debate is not required to do these things. He is leading by 40 points without having to go through yeah. all these conventional steps. I mean, I. I I think everything you say is true. And I think it just comes down to, does Donald Trump behave in a way that is disciplined and rational, or does he follow his instincts, which are to project toughness uh, and strength and to get maximum attention I and, to not, and to not allow others to get attention he's not getting? I, I don't believe that the choice in front of him is... Doing the debate does one of those things and not doing the debate does the other. He can pro project strength and toughness without being at the debate. That's not a required step. Well, uh, he will, if he's not there, there will be Chris Christie who will ha basically have nobody stopping him from dominating that debate and really attacking Trump and mocking Trump for not being there. OK, you're going to have Mike Pence, who uh, I think in a much more softer diplomatic way will likely be criticizing Trump. And then I think there is the opening. And this will be interesting to watch. As, as I've noted, DeSantis and Scott have been very weak about this and really defending Trump. But as I said, I think there is an opportunity to say Trump is being attacked here, but he just can't win. He can't survive all. He's so. 
does Trump want to allow that narrative to take hold without like unanswered? The debate is, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some questions about the border, some questions about inflation and questions about spending and all that and all that stuff. But I also imagine a large part of the debate is going to be debating Trump. And half of that stage, give or take, is going to say this weaponized Justice Department needs to be stopped. And maybe there'll be some debate on should we pardon Trump or not? Uh, and then there'll be and there'll be the Christie's and the I don't know if Asa Hutchins even made the debate stage yet. Um, or will and Will Hurt, I don't think he's even gonna go because he won't sign the pledge. Asa um, has the polling required, but he does not have the forty thousand right. donors. But Pen- Pen- Pence will be there giving his anguish. Oh, why well, stood for the Constitution, but the Justice Department is the weaponized dance, and DeSantis has a similar dance. They're gonna be in this scrum debating these different angles of it. I don't see how anybody gets a leg up on Trump while Trump is the issue. I mean, the, 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 this goes back to my whole point about what is this primary? The, the primary is Trump or not Trump. That is the first choice. And everything else is secondary to that. And I don't think the dynamic that is set up in, in a Trump-less debate where they are debating Trump and debating is the justice weaponized and debating pardons. I don't think that gets any one of them to a place where someone can say cleanly, we shouldn't nominate Trump um, because the, 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 the Republican electorate is not prime for that. You need to have a much larger echo chamber created where everybody is saying, we can't have Trump. It is nuts. Uh, and I don't, the different flavors of that argument that you're going to get on a debate stage, I don't think it's going to crystallize into a consensus argument that punctures the current silo where the median Republican voter says, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it that way before. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, this is crazy and I'm not, I don't want to do that. Well, I would love to hear from the commenters. What do you think? Go to youtube.com slash Matt Lewis. Um, is Bill right? Am I right? I would actually love to to hear uh, what people think. Um, because I think that both of us have uh, plausible arguments. And we will find out. Now, Bill, uh, who knows what the future may hold? I'm guessing you and I will record next week's episode on Thursday, the morning okay. after the debate. Mm-hmm. so that we can uh, talk about it. But it's possible that something crazy will happen and we'll do do it earlier. Um, well, let, me, let me ask you a question, Matt. Do you have any sense, you, you, you probably consume more conservative media than I do. You, you're in, you live in the Trump, Trumpy estates in the country. Um, you go to church with a lot of Trump voters. Uh, you have your mother. Uh, Had lunch with her yesterday. Do you have any, because remember after the first indictment, the Alvin Bragg indictment, there was a certain amount of talk like, okay, this one is, a, this one's an overreach, but let's see how Trump does after the, the January 6th indictments or after the classified doc indictments. Well, now we've had all, we've had all the indictments. Is there any sense of indictment fatigue, any sense on the right where some are like, you know, this it's re- it's really too much. Okay, I mean, this really seems like uh, 
it's untenable for Trump to go on with this much going on? Or is the vibe, and I think I even heard this from one of the more Trump skeptical people, this feels like a pile on. Uh, they're piling on Trump, but that's not fair. I mean, what 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 is what's the vibe you're getting on the right? Yeah, no, I I think that um the real the real problem for Trump would be um kind of swing voters and just normal people who are going to be like, wow, four indictments, that's crazy. But in terms of people who like Trump, if you liked Trump before, you probably like him even more now. And this is, you know, if, 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 you, were, if you were soft Trump before, but there's obviously mm-hmm. diehard cultists, yeah. but there's definitely some soft Trump out there. People that kind of, I mean, he dipped about 10 points after the midterm. There's some people who have a little, some capacity yeah. to consider other options. Um, those folks, where do you think they move after this? Well, I'm just, you know, this just, I don't think I have any special knowledge of this, but if you look at the real clear politics polling average, right, right. it seems like the first indictment was when um, DeSantis took a dive mm-hmm. and Trump Trump and DeSantis separated right. even more, right? I mean, Trump was already ahead of him by, I don't know, 10 or 15 points, but- Now it's over 30. It was after the first indictment, they separated. And since then, it is held pretty steady. And so it hasn't really changed much. We we, we haven't seen polling post the Georgia indictment yet because it's too new. We got to wait a week or so, probably. Yeah. Um, But but I do think uh, so. I don't think it is really politically yet. I do not think it has um, changed the dynamic at all of the Republican uh, primary contest. I think the initial indictment clearly redounded to Donald Trump's benefit. Some of that may be due to the way that Ron DeSantis handled it and the way the other Republican primary candidates handled it. But for whatever reason, the first indictment clearly, I think, uh, helped Trump. And since then, uh, nothing has changed that. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't see any messaging from conservative sources that would suggest a change because you're still seeing people defend Trump and attack the Justice Department. So I, I wouldn't think there'd be any kind of difference in the trajectories. I'm I'm just curious, under that surface, are you picking up any kind of signal that this is a little different? I think think that uh, so many Republicans have tuned out the media. They really do buy. It's weird. You know, this goes back. It's almost like the the left in the 1960s and 70s, but they really do buy. uh, They they, they distrust institutions. law enforcement, the intel community, uh, certainly the media. Uh, So it hasn't changed anything. Now, again, once the legal process starts carrying on and and there's a potential of Trump actually being convicted or, or, you know, he's he's off the campaign trail, there's mugshots. I mean, I think that there's still potential next year, probably after Trump is the Republican nominee, that it will hurt him, certainly with swing voters. And, and, and so, you know, who knows what argument would work now? But it does strike me that the electability argument has not been um, fully made. And well, this would be an opportunity at the debate. Why not? Why not? If you're Ron DeSantis and you're clearly afraid to attack Trump on the merits of the indictment, 
to attack Trump for lacking character, to attack Trump for, I don't know, attempting to overthrow an election. Why not make that electability argument that, look, this they're after him. He's going to be tied up. He's not going to be able to campaign. We're going to end up reelecting Joe Biden. Why not go with me? Here's the problem with that. They have no data to back it up. Right now, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just looking at real clear, and there's a couple uh, polls. Um, uh, actually, like one one poll with a fresh trial trial heat came out today. Uh, so the real clear is Biden 44.9, Trump 44.6, a 0.3 edge to Biden. You can plausibly argue that if that's if that's the national popular vote, Trump could win the Electoral College. Um, and the DeSantis Biden, which doesn't have as many, not, not every poll uh, tries them both. Um, so you don't have as much fresh data. Uh, but what we have is Biden plus two over DeSantis. Uh, there, there's, there's no, and the other folks aren't even getting tested really, but I, I highly doubt they have the name ID that you could show if it's Trump, we surely lose. And if it's this person, we surely win. I mean, even between Biden, between Trump and DeSantis, it's not that different. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a point and a half, two points difference. Um, so you don't have the evidence that Trump makes the job harder. You, I mean, there's there's a qualitative case to make. There's a, there's a certain common sense argument to make. Yeah. But the data doesn't match it right now. Um, I mean, I would argue, and I and I have a piece coming out tomorrow dissecting the Dean Phillips case. Uh, that and I've and I've made and I've made similar cases in the past that you know Biden is actually in a relatively good position historically speaking. It's not unusual. Yeah. Talk about, the, I, don't, I don't know if people know Dean Phillips. Who, talk so about Dean that. Phillips is a third-term moderate Democrat. Um, he uh, came from a wealthy family. His, his step-grandmother was um, Dear Abby. Um, his stepfather uh, owned a distillery company, um, national dist- distributor. Yeah, I, he think was, he's in, uh, I think he's in the, uh, the appendix of filthy rich politicians as, <laughs> as one of the richest members of Congress. Right. I mean, he, he was CEO of that company, for the, of the family company for a time, and he's co and other things. Um, so he won, he flipped a suburban Minneapolis district. I think it's been redrawn to be a little more democratic now. Uh, and earlier on in the year, he was one of the few vocally saying we needed it for a nominee. Um, Biden's too old. Um, and in the past couple of weeks, he's been more pointed, but there's reports that he's met with donors about a primary challenge, perhaps by himself. Uh, he's done a handful of media appearances saying, I am trying to encourage one of our uh, Midwest moderate governors to run. He, he said, I think I'm positioned to be president, but I'm not positioned to run for president. Although he had, doesn't close the door on it completely. Uh, but he clearly is, is jonesing for Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, he's, and he, he, he sometimes has said, well, I don't want to give names because they've asked me not to say names and besmirch their reputations. But then when he's, when names are sort of given to him, he kind of agrees with it. Um, he talked about uh, Whitmer. He's talked about Pritzker. He's not really a moderate. Um, and a few others. Speaking of spooky, speaking of filthy rich politicians. Right, right. He's numero uno. Exactly. Um, and so he has tried to argue that the numbers 
are quote unquote horrific and we need to at least have competition more so than RFK Jr. and Marion Williamson to ensure we don't, you know, walk into a disaster. And I would argue and have argued uh, Biden's position now is not all that different in some ways better uh, than other democratic and also Reagan um, incumbents in their third year, um, you know, where opinion tends to sag, it's often some rough economic waters, uh, but the, the things tend to improve for the incumbent by year four, so long as the economy is on the up. The only time when incumbents have lost uh, since, you know, TAF, when the party split, uh, was when there was real distress in the economy. Uh, you're talking Hoover, Carter, H.W. Bush, Trump. Those are your first-term losers in the past hundred years. Um, so if we're on the trajectory we're on now, GDP is growing, unemployment's at record low, inflation is cooling, continues to cool, uh, real disposable personal income is going up, you would think Biden would be reelected. That's a the the only wild card at that point is age, um, and you know Reagan overcame age issues. Eisenhower overcame age issues. As long as there's no obvious real health impairment, you would think devil you know, devil you actually two devils you know in the case of Trump and Biden. Decent economy, age can be put aside most likely. So uh, I don't see anything in the data. That says this guy is, you know, dead man walking. Yeah, you could argue, okay, if the election was today and Biden and Trump are statistically tied in national popular vote, or maybe that means he doesn't win uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia. Um, Yeah. But I think Biden can get a couple points. I mean, Hillary Clinton, I mean, the thing is, you can't do this to precision. Hillary Clinton... Uh, was up in the popular vote uh, 2.1 and came up a hair short in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Um, Biden was 4.5 and pulled those states out as well as pulling in Arizona and Georgia. But if you look at all of those states, like, their deviation from the popular vote doesn't is not in lockstep, uh, so you can't be so you can be overly crude about this and say, well, you have to be at four point five, or if you take off like the narrowest, which like or, uh, of the ones he needed, like Wisconsin. Okay, well, he had to be at three point nine if I subtract the Wisconsin margin. You know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily work that perfectly, uh, but yeah, you would probably be more comfortable. If Biden was at three or four as opposed to, you know, zero to one. Uh, but we don't know for absolute fact where he absolutely has to be. I mean, I mean, I mean, Hillary could have been at 2.9. And if, if that 0.8 was factored into Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, um, uh, I'm probably missing one. Um if I remember correctly, I think if you added those into those narrow states, she would have had it. Um, uh, so we don't know precisely what that number needs to be. 
And it's hardly unusual for an incumbent to gain two, three points at minimum between year three and year four. Uh, and, and, and one thing weird about the Dean Phillips case was to, do you want to jump in here before I go on and on and on? No, go on and on and on, okay. please. So Phillips makes two points that he, that he, one point he really drills. He'll say the New York Times poll, 55% of Democrats want an alternative. That's not really correct. He's, it's, it's what the, number one, the Times poll asked, do you want Biden to be the nominee? Just di- a different question. And do you want more alternatives in the primary? Because I might have reservations about Biden and think, gee, if I could just, if I could get Gretchen Whitmer tomorrow, great, I'll take that. Yeah. It doesn't mean you want to have a, a messy primary to get to that point. Um, uh, so the question is, do you want Biden to be the nominee or not? 45% say yes, 50% say no, not 55. Another 5% say I don't know or refuse to answer the question. So Dean Phillips conflates the 50 and the 5 and tweaks what the actual question is to say 55% want more alternatives in this primary. Uh, now, there's a separate question in that New York Times poll that is how would you feel if Biden was the nominee? And 20% say enthusiastic, kind of low. 51% say satisfied, but not enthusiastic. Now you're up to 71 who say they would be at least satisfied if Biden was the nominee. And only 28% they say dissatisfied or upset. Um, so, I, I, so I think Dean Fields is putting some English on the number there. That doesn't give the full picture. I mean, are there reservations about Biden? Absolutely. There's no question that there's 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 a pause that a lot of Democrats have. It doesn't quite mean they want to have a knockdown dragout primary. Uh, now, in one of his appearances, he's meet the press. He said to Chuck Todd that he was down seven points in the in the four uh, battleground states, and I honestly don't even know where this number comes from. I, I I don't get what he is. What, if it's just, it seems made up. Uh, the, the logical inference is that he is losing to Trump by seven points in either those states individually or in a collection, a collective average of those states. Like it's not even close to being numerically true based on the data that is out there. Um, uh, they're generally statistical dead heats. By up by a little in some of them, he's up by uh, a. Because there were more in Wisconsin. Um, so I, if he's talking about like job disapproval, like he's down in those states, but by more than more than seven. So I don't even know like what that number even came from, or if it just like he just got it wrong in his head somehow. But Biden is so you know, so Biden is essentially dead heat nationally. He's also basically dead heat in Arizona. Uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia. It's not like he's down by three or four, even though he's dead heat nationally. Uh, I think if one I remember more closely, um, uh, Arizona was recent. There's Emerson poll. He was down two to Trump, and it got narrowed to one when you added Cornell West, which is a little weird. <laughs> um, 
uh, but that's not seven, you know, and again, being down two a year out hardly mean, I mean, I mean, Biden won Arizona, I think it was like 0.3%, you know, like it was a really close race. Um, you don't have a lot of variation going back 20 years of presidential elections. It's been a very narrow band of outcomes outside of Obama's landslide in 2008. So the fact that Biden won by a hair in Arizona and Georgia, guess what? It's a statistical dead heat now. That's where we are as a country. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if, you know, part of the reason Biden was able to win in 2016 was that um, because of COVID, you know, Trump wasn't able to define Biden early and capitalize on kind of his money gain, which happened, you know, Obama did that to like Romney. Um, and then Biden was able to just sort of campaign in his basement, you know, um, and I wonder if the dynamic will be similar. I mean, this time around, Joe Biden is going to be the president, so he's can kind of rose garden it a little bit. But additionally, if Trump is, I mean, Trump is going to be busy testifying or, or sitting in courtrooms. Is that your phone, Bill? Yeah, I know. I don't want my earbuds in, so you're hearing all my pings and beeps. Just flip the button, man, to uh, silence or something. No, it's on the computer. It's on the laptop. Oh, it is. Okay, you have to. Dis- you got to disable that, man. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have any alerts. Uh, anyway, um, you know, I wonder if if the fact that Trump is going to be constantly, you know, in court will will provide an opportunity for Biden to not be on the hustings so much, uh, to kind of campaign at a more leisurely pace. That's a huge, that is a huge benefit to Joe Biden, if that's the case. Well, I mean, you could well have both candidates not campaigning at normal paces because Trump's in a courtroom and Biden's in the White House. And no one's just expecting rally after rally after rally. Um and look, these are two very known commodities at this point. Yeah. Uh, so how much campaign do you really need? Like, you know what you're getting with both True. of these people. But wouldn't you say, Bill, if if Joe Biden were campaigning against a young go-getter, and you, let's say it was like a Bill Clinton-Al Gore type of combination, and they, they barnstormed the country on a bus, and they're like, that would really highlight... Uh, the contrast between their energy and Biden. But Trump won't be able to do that, not because he's too old, but because he's going to be in courts, in courtrooms. I mean, that's such what Clinton and Gore did against George H.W. Bush. They played that youth card, that energy card very hard. Yeah. But the economy, I mean, so the, the recession was technically over in March 91, although that wasn't publicly announced yet, but the GDP numbers had gone back into being being positive. Uh, but there was a, a jobless recovery. The unemployment rate kept going up after the technical recession was over. So it actually peaks in June of 1992. And it only comes down very little between June and November. And plus, I mean, not that people knew the data, uh, but personal income, Real disposable personal income actually dipped 
in the le- in the few months before before the election. So there's a genuine feeling of economic distress uh, that the youth argument plays into. You have a guy that t- I mean, I mean, Bush is is doing the usual traditional Republican thing. Don't get in the middle of the economy. Don't do panicky things like stimuluses. Uh, you know, we will this this will rectify itself over time. You know, by message I care. I don't want people to see be be harmed, but I don't want to do things that are going to make things worse. And just the wrong message for the moment. Yeah. And so you could you could not, sort of play the kind of touch card uh, with that as a backdrop. But if Inflation, you know, keeps ticking down and unemployment's low and GDP. I mean, I just saw, you know, Jason Furman, who was uh, in Obama's administration as economic advisor. He's pretty, uh, generally he's more of a moderate democratic economy wise. So a lot of progressives don't like him. Um, but that's all to the side. Uh, he has happened to have, he's, there, there's a thing that the Atlanta Federal Reserve does called the GDP now cast. Um, which he says is not necessarily precisely on point, but um, there's a record of sort of how far wrong it can be. It's right now tracking 5% GDP growth in the third quarter. Uh, so even if it's like off two points uh, too high, you'd still get up at 3%. Um, so again, we, we still have to see what happens, you know, the rest of the year, but like there's no evidence right now of a recession, I mean, I suppose the fear of its GDP is too strong. That might be bad for inflation. That's that, that's the biggest, you know, uh, curveball out there waiting for Biden. But you know, we, the number, the last inflation number we had was sort of still sort of relatively modest. Uh, so I don't think a youth card hits as well if the economy is perceived as get as on the right track. And maybe, and you know, we've had this argument, and I've discussed this before. I mean, the poll numbers show Biden's not getting the credit for it yet, but inflation's only gotten better in recent months. So give you give that a year. I mean, you know, Clinton wasn't getting great economic numbers in year two and three. Reagan wasn't getting good economic numbers in year two and three. Um, year four is what matters. Uh, and so, you know, Dean Phillips is saying, look at the data. The data says to me, this is a pretty good place for an incumbent to be in. Uh, and so just, just youth on its own, I wouldn't think would be enough to to overcome that. All right. Um, I don't think we've, uh, you know, what's the what's the burn before reading or whatever the movie? Like, what do we learn? <laughs> um, I'm not sure we learned much, but uh, is it burn after reading, burn before reading? Am I burn talking about the right movie? Yeah, burn uh, before reading, because then you can't read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, this message will self-destruct. I'm not sure we learned much today, except that we disagree and we will find out next week. Ideally, right after the debate, we will break that down for you. Um, Bill, anything you want to plug or mention before we uh, hit the road? Um, well, if you didn't read already, I had a I had an, a post uh, Ohio analysis at the Washington Monthly last week. Um, another abortion rights victory, albeit indirect in this case in a statewide referendum. Uh, and the, you know, the conservative forces tr- tried to not make, th- this is a, a ballot initiative to increase the threshold for constitutional amendments approved by voters because uh, there's an abortion re- referendum coming in November. They want to make it harder for that to pass. 
the conservative ads focus far more on transgender issues than abortion issues. Mm, right. Uh, and did not succeed in changing the focus. And in fact, you can't really uh, point to a lot of examples where a, as I would say, transphobic ad campaign helped win a close election. You know, there's a little bit of trans issues in the Virginia governor's race and in the Florida governor's race. Um, But, uh, you know, Florida's a 20-point victory. I think COVID was probably still more important there than than trans issues. And and most importantly, Florida's just not a bellwether of America anymore. Uh, And in the, the Glenn Youngkin case, if you actually look at the ad campaign, he was pretty crafty and subtle in how he talked about things. He didn't have a real blunt anti-trans message. Uh, it was it was more dog whistly. Um, whereas other people who try to do be blunt about it, like Herschel Walker, uh, uh, Adam Laxalt, you know, these folks did not get very far uh, in 2022 with that. So uh, even though you can find polling that says most Americans agree that trans girls shouldn't compete in women's sports. You don't have a lot of evidence that this helps you win an election. Um, so I think we're probably going to have to ask themselves, this is really a, a, a drum worth banging. Very interesting. Um, very interesting. Uh, so let me plug, I have a piece at the Daily Beast where I say the indictment makes it more likely that Trump yeah. will debate. So go read that and uh, tell me in the comments here why I'm wrong. And I may be. We'll see. It's happened before. Um, oh, I want to plug. Um, while I was out the last couple of weeks, Bill, I ran some kind of greatest hits of my podcast. Mm-hmm. So one of my favorites is my interview uh, from a couple years ago with Ron Sheldon, who wrote Bull, the Bull movie, wrote and and directed Bull Durham. Um, and I love that. That was such a fun conversation. I also, I don't know if you saw uh, Robbie Robertson, who was kind of the leader of the band, The Band. He passed away last <laughs> week. Um, and uh, so I reran an, an interview I did a couple years ago with a guy named Jonathan Taplin, who's had a really amazing life, uh, including he was the um, uh, he was the manager or the, the tour manager for Bob Dylan and The Band. And so we talk in that conversation, we talk about Robbie and we talk about the band. And uh, there's a great story about how um, after Bob Dylan had been, you know, booed off stage for going electric, um, Robbie, that that sort of impacted Robertson uh, psychologically. And he started having uh, this kind of phobia of going on stage fright, basically. And uh, they had this huge gig coming up in San Francisco. And it was like the band was coming out as their own entity, not just the backups, not just the backup act for Bob Dylan. And Robbie Robertson came down with this like 104 degree fever. And they bring in a hypnotist to hypnotize him. And it works. And he goes on stage and is fine. Uh, And so check out that interview which I think is well worth your time, especially if you want to get away from politics and you want to hear something smart and fun that uh, is not about politics. Check that out. I, I got to jump into a meeting, Matt. So I got to, I got to cut us All off. All right. See you next week. Take care.